Welcome to Unhindered. Yes. Praise the Lord. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I got, I, I got one sister going to tell me Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Sister Sarah. Thank you. Uh, if you are a father, please don't rush off. Uh, when you think service is over and you get nervous and antsy because uh, you're afraid that the Lord's going to deal with you, just stay. Uh, <laughs> see, I called y'all out. I didn't point you out, but I called you out. Uh, I, I just, just stay because um, we're going to be giving out prizes at the end of service, and, and, we, and we're going to uh, ask you to stand, and we're going we're gonna to give every father something, but then we've got some door prizes that some special fathers will win today. So the Lord blessed us, and we were able to be a blessing to you today because we're, we're, we're honored that you would take part of your day and uh, this special day, and, and I know there's a lot of people uh, that, that even aren't here today because uh, they're at their dad's or their dads are in town or they're going to their uh, family or whatever, so uh, we're honored that you're here today. Uh, this week's going to be a little bit different. If you've been here for Unhindered, uh, Unhindered is about to take a, uh, a dramatic shift, if you will, in its presentation because um, I'm going to start taking some really deep dives into the practice and the power of prayer, okay? That, that, that's where we're about to go to. But today, today is going to be very practical. It's Father's Day. Uh, it's Father's Day. I know I'm not going to be able to hold your attention very long. I know that there's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts, and we've got some stuff happening at the end of service. And, and so I, I asked the Lord to specifically give me a message uh, that could tie everything that we've been talking about unhindered in with the idea and the concept of family. Now, I told you at the beginning of Unhindered, the series, that there was some scriptures that we're going to use over and over and over and over again. One of those is Proverbs chapter 3, uh, where you're, you don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart with all, and, and, and lean not on your own. That's one of the scriptures. One of the other scriptures is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we're talking specifically about increasing our faith and making our prayers unhindered, right? How did Jesus begin that prayer? Our, our what? Our Father, which indicates by necessity that you are children. And we can't all have the same Father and not be kin. We, we can't all call him father and act like we ain't knowing each other and that we're not kin to each other and that we're not brothers and sisters together. So we, we can't all claim to have the same daddy but not be kin to one another. That's not the way this works. So the fact that he is our father necessitates that we are a family. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Considering that it's Father's Day and we're talking about becoming unhindered, one of the things that causes us to not be productive in prayer. Are you ready for this? This is a truth bomb that, that the world in 2023 isn't ready for. Disunity is a curse. Being divided over anything brings curses on us. I'm not going to dive into that this morning because I know we have visitors. I know that there's people here that's not as well-versed as, as a lot of you are in Scripture. So I'm not going to dive into it and prove it to you in Leviticus. But, but just take my word for it. Be a good Berean and go search it out and, and, and locate it yourself. But the Bible is very plain that when we get together in unity, God sends blessing and power. 
And when we get divided over anything, there's a curse that comes with division, and it removes the power that God wants us to operate in. So the sick stay sick. And the lost stay lost. And the prodigals remain running from God. And there's no power in the house of God. We don't have enough power to blow our nose because we're all divided. And I don't necessarily mean that we're divided by theology or divided by differences of opinion. What I've noticed since 2020 is that we are divided by laziness. Everybody become a groundhog during the lockdown, and we have never shed our fur yet. We all became hermits, holed up in a hole somewhere, and we, some of us have never stuck our heads out again. And we don't understand the concept of gathering and the importance of gathering. I'm going to tell you something. When I was in uh, children's church, when I was a little boy, we used to sing a song, The Devil is a Sly Old Fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. And he utilized something that was a health crisis and turned it into a spirit crisis. And what he has done is he has caused us to be divided even though we ain't fighting. We're not divided necessarily by difference of opinion, although there's a lot of that going on out there. But if you're here this morning, we at least got something in common. Most of us at least feel like Jesus is Lord and he's worth getting up on Sunday morning and worshiping. Amen. We at least agree on that. That's enough for us to come together. But when we get here, where's the connection? Where's the flow? See, understand that anointing is like electricity. It needs conduit to flow. It flows in every direction. I'm going to teach you that if you come Sunday night uh, to, to Super Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk, and, and even in uh, the next few weeks here on Sunday mornings, I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you how the anointing, how the power of God flows and connects us. That's why the Bible over and over and over again tells you crazy things like touch and agree. Like, like anoint those that are sick, and that's how they get healed. Because God, from the beginning, knew when he looked down and saw Adam, he said, Adam, you're a fine-looking fella, but it's not good for you to be alone. That's right. God blessed everything he made in six days. He blessed it. And everything he did, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he said, it's very good. When he looked at Adam, he said, Adam, you are very good. Adam had that six-pack thing going on. Adam hadn't met no carbs yet. What? God did not invent Twinkies till day eight. <laughs> so he looked at Adam, he said, Adam, that, you are very good. But then he went back on that and said, it's not good, however, that you be alone. And still to this day, it's not good that you dwell alone. God has made us to need each other. And more importantly, you need to be with people because there are things in heaven that will not be released into your operating system by yourself. God has certain things that he will not release to lone rangers. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18 that if you want to get over some spiritual hills and you want some spiritual walls to come down, you're going to have to find where Two or three are gathered in my name. In other words, if you by yourself, there are certain things that will never be released into you because you've got to have one another. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
Now, I know that if you're new here, you don't know that what unhindered means. What God gave me a scripture at the beginning of the year, and I've been preaching basically uh, out of Job chapter 42 and verse 2. Uh, I, this is the one concept that we are continually trying to grow our faith and our prayer life through. Job 42 and 2. We've been reading it together, so we're going to do that this morning. Will you, will you do that with me? Is it up? Yes, it is. Are you ready? Read. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. Hence the name of the series, Unhindered. Now, this year we're putting a lot of emphasis on transformation. We're trying to transform our prayer life because we believe that there's more for us to experience than what we have been experiencing. I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning. We're trying to transform our faith. We're we're wanting to be the kind of church where the impossible happens. Listen, I I thought I might get an amen in a Pentecostal church, but we want to be the kind of church that just believes that the impossible isn't supposed to be rare. That, that because we serve, he's a wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe. And that's why I'm preaching this series, because when people walk through the doors of this church, we want them to encounter one thing before everything else, hope. Are you hearing me? I want people who have maybe strayed from God or maybe never even came to God, when they walk in the doors of this church, I want them to find hope. Hope that their lives can change. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but the world is getting dark. And there's no hope out there. Everybody has an opinion, but no hope. Everybody has uh, degrees, but no hope. Uh, A lot of folk are are, are gathering up uh, people. People that will uh, agree with them, but they don't agree in hope. As a matter of fact, most of them are in agreement about division. I don't want that to be said of the body of Christ. I I want us to be a place where people can come in and that find hope in Jesus can accomplish anything. And maybe nobody's ever told them that Jesus loves them. I want them to find that in this house. Can I get at least somebody to praise the Lord with me over that? Because before I get too deep into this, let let me just throw it in your court. Some of y'all need that to happen too. Hello. It's not just the folks that ain't got here yet. Some of y'all need that. We we talked last week, uh, uh, if you were here, we talked last week how Jesus sent the disciples out to do three things. Right? He sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out devils. That's the three things he sent them out to do. Right? And, and that's his plan, not just for them, but for the world today. He is trying to find a church where his power is unhindered. Where, where he can find people that still believes that demons shouldn't sit comfortable under the preaching. Where, where sickness meets its match when it finds the anointing of the cross of Jesus Christ. That we still believe that when Peter said, by his stripes you are healed, that that wasn't a, a for them thing, but it's a for us thing. That, that, that healing shouldn't be hindered. Somebody say amen. How many, how many people in this room, you don't have to raise your hand if you want to, but how many people in this room need a healing? Look at the hands. Look at the hands in this room that needs a healing. How many in this room needs a breakthrough? Even more hands going up. Now, can I ask you a question, those of you that just raised either hand? 
You don't really care who gets anointed, do you? You don't really care who's got the ability to lay hands on your situation and call it through and get, and get God's blessing. If you need a healing, you don't care who lays hands on you, do you? It don't make any, you just want somebody to be unhindered enough to call the miracle down from heaven. Amen? You just need somebody. So let me ask you this. What happens when the whole church gets unhindered? Now, I'm probably going to make some people upset with me, but I got the microphone, you don't. I have always had a problem. I shouldn't say a problem, it's not my issue. I've always wondered why. People are so hungry and thirsty to get on planes and trains and automobiles and fly to conferences and fly all over the country and stand in line for hours to get in service with a personality. It's always kind of set wrong with me, and I'll tell you why. Because I read my Bible. I come from a holler. Y'all don't have hollers up here. I come from a holler in cold country, West Virginia. You can't get there from here, West Virginia. And I knew back then that we don't fly to conferences because ain't nobody got no money. Some of us ain't even got cars. And so all we had to depend on to get the sick healed and the devils cast out was that book and the promises that was in that book. Benny Hinn comes a lot of places. McDowell County, West Virginia ain't one of them. So we wasn't going to ever get a crusade. We wasn't ever going to get Rod Parsley come through town. Bishop Jakes wasn't, even though he was from Charleston, West Virginia, he wasn't going to come back down to McDowell County. If we was going to get our miracle, it was going to have to be in the here and in the now. And a lot of folks will go through great expense and great turmoil to get to a place so one preacher can pray over them or they can be in some sort of an atmosphere. And I got news for you. Are you ready for this? You love me? If you're one of them people, I ain't mad at you. I just want to help you. If you would come in here on every Sunday morning with that same hunger, with that same passion, you wouldn't have to go nowhere to get what you're looking for because the Bible says signs will follow them. We got folk out following signs when Mark 16 says the signs will follow you. But we don't, we come in on Sundays and take this program for granted. And that's why we don't see what it is we think we're going to see if we go somewhere else. I, I had my whole amen committee just resign right there. But Jesus wants to find a church where anything can happen. Where, where he can still tell us like he did in Matthew's gospel last week that if you go out in my name, demons ought to respond and sickness ought to respond. And when you preach the gospel, souls ought to be saved. Amen? So if the whole church could get unhindered, imagine what kind of a church we would have. Now transformation is coming. It's coming for somebody but not for everybody. Because everybody will not tolerate what transformation will do. Transformation is going to lead you to breakthrough, but it's going to 
break you down before it breaks you through. And we start talking about breakthrough, and everybody jumps to their feet. Woo! And you get me excited, and I'll start hooping. And God came down and said, some of y'all will start running, and we'll have church. You won't know what I said, but we'll have church. You'll leave here and say, I don't know what he said, but it was good. Uh-huh. And, and the problem is, we talk about breakthrough, but a lot of things are celebrated until it's implemented. As a leader, I know that you will celebrate my decisions until I implement them. I'll tell you things like, the church has grown too big for me to come and visit everybody in the hospital. So we're going to start having care ministers that's going to come and take care of you. And you're going to pray, praise the Lord and say, yes, we love growth. And what you're really doing is saying, he means everybody but me. Hey, celebrate. All of y'all will get visited by somebody else, but pastor will come see me. Because we celebrate it until we implement it. And the same thing about preaching. You will celebrate breakthrough until God tries to implement it into your spirit. And then you realize in order to get breakthrough, sometimes there's walls that have to come down. And sometimes them walls ain't exterior, but they're on the inside of you. And they got to come down before breakthrough can happen. And so when we talk about breakthrough, we sometimes imagine some sensational event. And we think it has to happen because the preacher laid hands on us and knocked us down in the floor. And seven or eight prayer partners gathered around us and spoke in tongues. But we don't realize a lot of times breakthrough comes through day after day, month after month of hard work. Because Paul taught us in Romans chapter 12 that it's our mind that is in the way. And you spent all of your life developing the ideas and the theories and the philosophies that you operate under right now. And you think one visit to the altar is going to snap you back to God's reality? That is not going to happen, my friend. You are going to spend a long time trying to get your mind in tune with the mind of Christ. Amen? So, so there's a lot of moments that God will miraculously show up. Absolutely. I, I've seen miracles. We've, we've raised the dead. You ain't got a lot of time to raise the dead. When somebody dies in front of you in, in service, you ain't got a long time. You, if you're going to raise them back, you better get to hustling. But, but sometimes your backache might take a long time. Sometimes your prodigal son or daughter might take a long time. We're going to get into that as we get into the power and the practice of prayer. We're going to talk about those things, why, why certain things take longer than others. But what I want you to realize is sometimes God does the miraculous right now. But most of the time, what God does is bring you through a process. And it's not because he's mad at you or he's mean. It's that he is developing you. I always get cracked up at folks that eat one salad and went for a mile hike and then come home and want to stand in front of the mirror and say, well, it didn't work. <laughs> and then they give up on the diet because I sacrifice. I ate one salad. I wanted that burger. Jesus, I gave it all for you. I'm trying to make this a holy temple for you, Holy Spirit, to dwell in. 
And I got this salad, and I didn't want it, and I watched everybody else eat them burgers and fries, and I had envy in my heart. Holy Ghost, please forgive me for the envy that I carried the whole meal. But Lord, why ain't I skinny? And we give up on it because we don't realize it's a transformation. You ate a bunch of Twinkies to get the way you are. You did not fall off the dietary wagon one day and bloat up. It took a minute. <laughs> and if you're going to reverse that, it's going to take a minute. So, so, so here we are on Father's Day, and it's, it's a great time for us to look at something that is very important to us reaching our goals, something that will help us get unhindered but often is overlooked because we want everything fast. And, by the way, we also want it without any effort on our part. We want God to meet all of our needs and us to have nothing to do with the process. But that's not the way this works. I'm going to show you some stuff today. Many of you were probably raised with the same mindset that I was. And this, this was the mindset that I was raised with because we were country. And we lived far away from everybody. And, to be honest, we was dirt poor. And, and so the mindset that I was raised with was this. I can do this. I don't need no help. I don't need nobody to help me. I can do this. I can work harder. I can work longer. I can push myself. I can press on. And I can make this happen all by myself. Does anybody recognize that? Was that the philosophy of maybe when you grew up? Yeah, I can do that. I don't need nobody else. There's a problem with that. I realized a few years ago that there are things in my life that are too hard for me to do by myself. And I have, I have been spending the last several years trying to untangle this mess that Rife and Gene Mitchum put into me when I was a little boy. We were taught not to depend on nobody that didn't live in our house. That, that we're the only people that's got our backs. We're the only people that's going to help us. We're, we're the only people that's, that's ever going to be there when we, we need us. And then I got in church, and I was being taught all these things, and I was reading these scriptures about family and about how we need each other. And I wasn't used to that. And I've had to spend a lot of time trying to utilize the gifts that God has given me. And you don't know it, but you're a gift to me. You are a gift to me. I'm going to show you that in a few moments. And, and, and the most valuable resource that you have is not money. I know, the, I know the government and the economy is crazy, and I know the government's always trying to tell you that everybody needs more money. Your most valuable asset is not money. It's not talent. It's not charisma. The most valuable resource you have is time. And one of the wisest ways to invest time is in healthy relationships. Now, last week, we started looking at an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. And I'm just going to give you, if you weren't here last week, and, and those of you that were last, here last week, but your forgetter works good like mine. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a real brief uh, synopsis. Uh, Nehemiah was a Jew, but he had grown up in Persia because the Jews had been taken into captivity as slaves. And when they took all the Jews away to Babylon, they tore the whole city of Jerusalem down. They, they tore all the houses down. They tore the temple down. There was nothing left standing on their foundations. So for 70 years, no Jews have been back to Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah was raised in Persia, and he had worked his way all the way up through the ranks, and he was now like, he was the cupbearer for the king. He was like, he was in the king's court. He lived in the palace. But he heard that there were Jews going back to Jerusalem. And that even though they were going and settling back into Jerusalem, they weren't doing any work. They weren't rebuilding their houses. They hadn't rebuilt the wall. They hadn't rebuilt the temple. And it bothered Nehemiah. It bothered him to the point that he asked the king to let him go back and be the project manager and get stuff happening. The reason it bothered him was because he saw his people living in a place of blessing, but simply existing. Hear me. Jerusalem means city of peace. It was God's chosen area for his chosen people, and they were living there, but they weren't flourishing there. They were living there, but they weren't blessed there. They were living in a place of blessing, but they were simply existing. And I see that every Sunday. You come into a blessed place, you come into an anointed place, and you leave with the same heartache you brought in here. And you leave with the same curses you brought in here. And your marriage is just as jacked up when you leave as it was when you came in. And your kids are just as lost, and you're just as sick, and your back hurts just as bad. You come into a place of blessing. You shouldn't just exist here. I want this to be a place where the anointing is flowing, and anything is possible, and it's not just possible. It actually happens. And that the people that gather here are not just in a blessed place, but are flourishing. Amen. So Nehemiah decided, I can't just sit here and watch nothing happen. I have to do something. And I told you a few things about that last week. He got the king's permission to go back home. And and this week I'm going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 2. And bear with me as I read a pretty lengthy passage. Excuse me while I read God's word in his house. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I'd not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Pay attention to that. That donkey's going to be a little bit important in a moment. Except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey could not get through the rubble. I don't know if you know anything about mules and donkeys. I grew up on a farm, and they're they're pretty ambitious. They can climb over some stuff. The fact that this rubble was piled up so high that even a donkey can't get over it tells you everything you need to know about the condition of Jerusalem, okay? The donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered to get into the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there for what I, or for what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, 
Let's rebuild the wall. So they began to be, they began the good work. So last week we looked at Nehemiah, who is the leader in this situation. He stands up and says, the city around us is broken. It's falling apart. And somebody has to do something. Can I stand here as the shepherd of this house and tell you that the city around us is broken? That Weirton is broken, that Steubenville is broken, that Fallensby and Wellsburg is broken, that all the way over into Pittsburgh is broken, and somebody needs to do something about it. Somebody needs to be a conduit where God's anointing can flow and bring hope to people who have no hope. And, and, and I pray that that's the response of this church because it's the only way God's ever going to reach the lost is when somebody in God's house says, Here I am, Lord. Use me. And, and, and I hope that's where we are as a people, that, that we're able to see the brokenness around us. And I don't just mean people's wallets is broke. I mean wherever there is an absence of Jesus, there is an abundance of brokenness. Wherever Jesus is a void, where there's a spiritual void, there will always be chaos ensuing. So somebody has to be the one to fill that void. With the presence of Jesus. We live in a world that is messed up. But they're not just messed up. They're hurting. And too many times we look at them and we only see how jacked up they are. So we judge them because of what they're doing. But we don't realize what they're doing is because of how bad they're hurting. And if we could take the hurt away, maybe they would do better. Now, I grew up in the old church that all they ever preached about was what you did and how bad you did it. And you had to get saved every Sunday because they made you feel like you wasn't saved. And, and, and sometimes we have told people what we're against for so long that nobody really knows what we're for. And what we're for is restoration. Somebody say amen. People are making bad choices, but the reason they're making bad choices is because they're hurting and there's a void of spiritual life in them. So there's things in our past that we're not proud of. Somebody say amen so I know I'm not talking to a bunch of liars this morning. We're all misfits in some way, shape, or form. Okay? But there are things that we have done that we're ashamed of, and there are things that were done to us that we wish hadn't have happened. And we did not invite it into our lives, and we didn't ask for it. And because of all of these things, the world is broken. It's been a long time since the Garden of Eden. And every generation has become more broken than the last. You and I are living in the most jacked up, messed up uh, dispensation that has ever existed on planet Earth. So today, we're going to explore the idea uh, that, that once we become aware of the brokenness, we need to determine to do something about it. Amen? And then the next step you need is that the realization that you can't do it alone. Mother's Day and Father's Day are always two tricky days for preachers. I'll be honest with you because there are so many different circumstances that brings us into this room today. Some of you had great fathers. Some of us did not. Some of you never had a father. And so for Father's Day, it invokes a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of bad feelings in a lot of you. And while, while on every pew there's somebody that is 
so happy. My father is, is, my father was great. My father did this. My father did that. And at the other end of the pew is somebody that never knew their father. Or wish they didn't know their father. So these are tricky days because what brought you to this day is different for all of us. But what I love about God, one of the many things I love about God, is that everything that's in your life that is a void, He makes a special way of filling it. This is what I love about Him. Because some of us that had lousy fathers, He is a good father. Some of you that had no fathers, He will fill the role of your father. And some of you who had great fathers as an example in your life or are married to a great father, you see that, but, but what, what, what you see reflected in them is not the goodness in them, but the goodness of the father shining through their life. He fills every single void. And so here's what happens. Here's what happens. You ready for this? He knows that some of you are hurting today some of us are hurting today because of the way we were raised by our earthly fathers. So what he does is he calls you into a family under a perfect father. And once you get established into the family, he fills all the voids that you carried into the room. So here at Promise of Victory, we have a plan for each of you to become the most effective version of yourself that you can. There's four steps to it. First, you got to come. We can't help you if you don't get here. Next, you need to connect in some way. I'm going to talk to you about some, some examples of that in a moment. Then you need to commit. Because one of the things that we see in the world today is people don't like to commit to nothing. Everything seems transitory and temporary. And the fourth step is to contribute. There's some, there's some gifts inside of you. There's some things that God made you to do that only you can do. And He didn't give them to you to celebrate you. He gave them to you to give to others to celebrate Him. I'm going to tell you something. I was the least likely to stand up in front of you and hold this microphone. I do not stand in these pulpits like some of the preachers that come before me and say, I was raised, I'm a fourth generation Church of God preacher. I cut my teeth on the back of the pew. No, no, no. I come from a long, successful line of heathens. The fact that God found me, loved me, saved me, turned me around, and then raised me and called me, are you kidding me? I have no business up here preaching this gospel. I, I, there's no earthly reason for me to be doing this other than God put a gift inside of me. And when all them, when all them teachers were saying, you talk too much, little did they know. They were sending them report cards holding my mama saying, he makes great grace, but he won't shut up. Little did they know. That was a gift the Lord had given to me. And put inside of me for such a time as this. Somebody say amen. So, so you come, you connect, uh, you commit, and you contribute. So I'm going to give you three ways to get connected. Three ways to get connected. Uh, three reasons, I'm sorry. Three reasons to get connected. The first one is this. There's always too much to be done alone. When you look around the world and you see the world is broken and you get a burden for a broken world, friend, you're going to need some help. And out of, that, out of that burden will come a vision. But, but you have to have other people to help you carry out visions. 
We're constantly, my wife and I are constantly trying to come up and get in tune with God and say, God, what is it that you want for this church? What is the vision for this house? Because without a vision, the people, that's right. So we're constantly trying to feed the vision to you that we receive from heaven. But, but the problem is, if you try to take on too much, you get overwhelmed. And when you get overwhelmed, you get paralysis. And not either you try to do too much and you don't do great at any of it, or you get paralyzed and you don't do nothing. That's why you need to learn how to use the gifts that God has put into your life. So, so there's too much mess in the world to clean up by yourself. There's too much heavy lifting to be handled alone. You wasn't designed to handle stuff alone. Your Bible teaches you over and over and over again, that's too heavy for you. Give it to me. You wasn't designed to carry all that mess. He says, cast your cares on me. And one of the reasons that God does that is because he wants us interconnected, not just with him, but with one another. I'm going to give you some statistics. 67% of Americans are introverts. All my introverts say, whoop. Yeah, you don't want to say nothing because you're an introvert. 67% are introverts. That simply means you're not real comfortable around other people. The enemy uses that as a tool. No, nothing wrong with being an introvert. Nothing wrong with it at all. It's, it's the way you're wired. But what happens is when the enemy uses that as a tool to keep us from the power that exists in unity. When your introvertedness keeps you from joining the community, then he has successfully kept you from being effective. Are you with me? Since the pandemic, I did some study. It's reported that since the pandemic happened, 70% of Americans suffer from loneliness. Did you hear what I just said? 70%. I know my accent sometimes gets in the way of my statistics. That's 7 0. 70% of Americans suffer from loneliness. Last week, I told you a statement that I've seen on Facebook a couple times this week. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. So if 7 out of 10 of you in this room are lonely, what are you doing about it? God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. So if you are lonely, what are you doing about it? I further read that 37% of Americans said they suffer from extreme loneliness. That means that they feel the effects of loneliness several times a day. If that's you, again, I'm going to ask the question, what are you doing about it? Well, I asked God to take it away from me. That's not what I ask you. I ask you, what are you doing about it? Because one of the primary reasons that we offer so many life groups here is so you don't have to do life alone. We have, every month, we have something called the collective. We have one for men, we have one for women. Once a month, once a month, you can't make once a month, once a month, you can come out here and you don't have to do life all by yourself. You can be around people that celebrate the same Jesus you celebrate. That, that, that has the joy of the Lord down in their heart. If you are lonely, why are you staying lonely 
Why aren't you doing something about it? Because God won't do what you can do for yourself. You have to make an effort. Somebody say amen. The Bible tells you in the Scriptures, if you want friends, you have to be friendly. You can't stay home and, and then complain nobody likes you. If you want to feel, feel people in your life and, and feel the voids in your life with people, join a ministry team. Because you come to church on Sunday anyway. If you join a ministry team, you're going to meet people. You're going to make friends. You're going to serve with other people, and you're going to make human contact. We're about to begin these Thursday night Bible classes. Now, I know, I know some of you that love the Word are coming, but I want to ask you how many of you lonely folks are going to come. Because while you're learning, you're also in contact with other people. That's one way that you can help yourself. Something as mundane as cleaning this church can be a connection point for you. This past Friday, I was here in this building while all these people were cleaning. And I heard people laughing, carrying on conversations. They were sharing prayer requests. Uh, Jeep ain't here today, but me and Jeep even went on a treasure hunt. But, and, and, and one of... <laughs> One of the groups in America who say they suffer most from feelings of loneliness are mothers of small children. And for the past couple of weeks, Sarah has been here for Mommy and Me group. That is a chance for any of you that chase littles all day to have a conversation with somebody that's taller than two feet. So what is keeping you from coming? If you're lonely, that the statistics don't lie. They said the loneliest group in America are mothers of small children. So we have something to get you out of loneliness. And you don't use it, but you want to pray and ask God to take something away that he already made an avenue to take away. I, this is why we have these kind of groups. To offset what the enemy is trying to do in your life. Life is too big and too intimidating to try to do by yourself. And God never intended for you to do it alone. Nehemiah talks about how there's so much rubble in the street that his donkey can't even get through. And, and, and there are people that's been living in the city now for a couple of years. But the work was too, too big for them to handle alone. So they've been living there, but they've been living in a mess. That'll preach right there. Some of, some of y'all been in church a long time, and you are existing, but you've been living in a mess. And the reason you're living in a mess is not because God ain't good or because he's mad at you. It's because you've been trying to handle everything by yourself, and eventually, friend, you will run out of energy. You will run out of you. You're going to need some help. You're going to need some help. Second thing that you need to connect is the right crowd adds strength to strength. Yes, you're strong. Yes, you are favored. Yes, you're the head, not the tail. Yes, you are above and not beneath. Yes, you are, uh, you are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. But when you get together with other folks that are also favored and also blessed in the city and also blessed in the field, your strength adds to their strength, and your iron sharpens their iron, and you become more together. The Bible says one will put a 1,000 to flight, but get two of them jokers together, and you'll chase 10,000. That math ain't mathing. Bible says that one will chase a thousand, two should chase two thousand.
But by, heaven's math ain't like your math. He says when you get two together, it multiplies. Oh, here we go. Some of y'all crying over people that God took out of your life. He subtracted. But when God subtracts, He don't add back. When He subtracts, He multiplies back. So some of y'all are crying still to this day. Can't believe He left me. Can't believe she didn't like me. Can't believe they rejected me. God took them out of the way so He could get the right person in the way. And you are still mourning over what you lost. And God says, you got a thousand out, but I'm going to bring 10,000 blessings into your life. Because not only does he, does he subtract the stuff and prunes the stuff you don't need, he multiplies the blessings back to you. And, and, and so, so, so Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Each one of you is part of the body of Christ, and you were chosen to live together in peace. Now I'm going to go through this real quickly, but I need, I need overlapping circles of people, and you do too. Let me show you what I mean. I need a wide circle of people to do life with. There will be things that I cannot get done alone, and I'm going to need help, like spring cleaning this building. God has designed me to have access to what he put inside of you. Do you understand that? You have wisdom. You have strength. You have talent. You have the ability to help. And God has put that stuff in you for me to have access to it. He's put stuff in me for you to have access to it. So when we get together on Sunday, you celebrate what I celebrate. And in my world, in my world, this is the whole church. My wide circle is the whole church. So I want to thank you for being my big circle. Doesn't matter if a church has got 30, 300, or 3,000. This is, this is the wide circle. These are the people that are pulling for me. These are the people that want to see me successful. They, want, they got my back. They, they want to say, they, they, they know that if they get, that, that if they help me pray through to a blessing, that, that, that doesn't mean they don't get one. It means that their blessing is coming along and that I'm not going to leave them behind anyway. I'm going to pull them up behind me. So, 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 so that's my big circle. Then I need a narrow circle. And you need one. A narrow circle is about eight to 12 people. These are the people that Jesus demonstrated to us. Yeah, he taught the multitudes, but he discipled 12. He poured into 12. When it came down to, to the time to disciple people, he would withdraw from the crowd and teach his disciples. And let's clear something up about these disciples. If you got the idea of them walking around with a halo over their head, speaking in tongues all the time, listen up. These guys ended up turning the world upside down in Acts, but it did not start out that way. Why do you think Jesus spent so much time discipling them? Listen, there was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. That's kind of like a mob boss. Yeah, yeah. Then there's Simon, who the Bible calls a zealot. That means he fought against the Roman Empire. There's a good chance old Simon slit a couple of throats on the way to Jesus. Okay? So, so Peter and Andrew were fishermen. Professional fishermen. And not with a rod and a reel. With nets. These rascals were grabbing hold of nets with their bare hands and pulling nets full of fish up over the bow of the boat. These were tough guys. 
They lived tough. They had calluses on their hands. And bless God, they talked rough. You wonder why Peter cussed that little girl? Peter was used to cussing on the boat. That wasn't his first time. We look at Peter and said, not Peter. He was a preacher. That wasn't the first time Peter cussed. These guys were tough. And Jesus spent all of, most of his time ministering to these people. He did life with these guys. And on the night before he died, he did not go into a huge coliseum and preach to the masses of people. He went into an upper room with his 12. Why? Because they needed his instruction and they needed his discipleship one more time. So do you understand? My inner circle is the next circle. My inner circle is about two or three people. When Jesus went up on the mountain, when he went into the garden to pray, he didn't take all 12 of his disciples. He took three. Nothing wrong with Matthew. Nothing wrong with Thomas. Nothing wrong with John. We know that John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Just read his book. He'll tell you about it. I mean, you've got to have some arrogance about you to say, John, the disciple who Jesus loved, and you're the one writing the story. <laughs> but he took three disciples into the garden to pray with him. These weren't perfect men. As a matter of fact, they didn't even pray when Jesus asked them to pray. But they were the three that was his inner circle. Your inner circle are the people that can tell you anything. They can ask you anything, and you can tell them anything. These are the people you trust. These are the people that when they see you going the wrong way, they say, hey, how come you ain't been in church lately? Where was you at today? You and me need to have a conversation or what? Do we need to go out for lunch? Because I see you slipping. There's some stuff in you that I don't understand. These are the kind of people that has permission to speak into your life. Can I tell you something about your small circle? The smaller your circle gets the more strength you should gain from them, not lose from them. This is why we need family. Are you ready for this? The last thing that I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to get out of your way, breakthrough happens in community between people. Mm -hmm. Breakthrough happens in community between people. If you want to get great things accomplished... I'm going to give you the clue. Are you ready for this? I'm not going to read it to you. I don't have time. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, there are 32 verses of ancient Jewish names. And if I started reading them to you, some of you would get your father's day nap early. I took Hebrew in seminary, and I'm pretty sure I can't even pronounce most of them. 32 verses of ancient Jewish names. But I want you to go home at some point and skim those 32 verses because it doesn't mean it's not important. And what I want you to notice is 32 times it says this person had this person by their side. And this person had this person by their side. And this person had this person by their side. If you want to accomplish something in your life, if you want to have a breakthrough for your family, if you want your prayers to be affected, if you want the church to be a lighthouse to reach the multitudes, you need the right folks by your side. 
We have gotten to the point in this generation where we want to come to church and hide. Slip in and slip out. Not have anybody invest in us and not make any investment in anybody else. But that's not God's call on our life. That's not what God asks us to do. As a matter of fact, he tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the reason he did that was because there's things that he put inside of you to share with the world around you. And if you don't release it, it'll stay clogged up. I know Father's Day is kind of rough. I, I, I realize everybody's got mixed emotions about their fathers. Just like everybody's got mixed emotions about their mamas. And maybe while I was preaching and you've been sitting there listening saying, I don't know what, I, I don't know what he's talking I can't connect with this because I ain't never had community. My family was disjointed. I've, I've never had friends really that I could count on or depend on. I don't even know what it's like to have relationships that feel close and vulnerable and committed. Maybe some of you sitting here and you've got a divorce or two and you don't even know what a healthy relationship looks like. And Every time we start talking about things like community, you just shirk back because you say, I don't have no example. That's not true. You just may not have lived out an example. You have an example. It's in that book. You see a man named Jesus take a ragtag bunch of misfits that, by the way, even after they got saved, couldn't get it right. Made all kinds of goofy errors in judgment. Jesus would lovingly correct them, but he never kicked them out of the family. He would tell them they were wrong. He would correct their ideas. But he held them close to him. Because that's what family does. And some of you, like me, your earthly family has probably been a disappointment. I, I don't mean my wife and my kids. I'm talking about my upbringing. My, my earthly family was not the Cleavers. We were not the Waltons. We were more like the Jesse James gang than any of that. And I, I did not have a great example set for me, not for a father, not for a family. But once I found the church, see, 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 I, I, don't know, I don't know where you'd be today, Chris. I, I don't know where you'd be if you never found a church. But I know yesterday while you was going through all that, you had family bringing you before the throne. Because she was on Facebook asking for prayer before daylight. And some of us was... Already praying. I'm going to Wheeling to take care of some church business, and I'm praying all the way there and getting reports from people saying he's out of surgery. And I don't, I don't know where you'd be today if you hadn't found the church and if Mama hadn't found the church. But I know that when you needed family to bring you before the throne, there was family that was doing that for you because you may not have 
an earthly family around you, but you've got a family. And some of you don't understand it because you didn't have the example set for you. So I'm going to ask you before I bring the, the fathers their gifts. I'm going to ask everybody in the room if you're physically able to, if you would stand. This is going to be an opportunity for you to experience what I'm talking about. Some of you, no doubt, are sitting here thinking, well, a father's supposed to protect his children. And a father's supposed to provide. And I didn't even get a chance to talk about how God gave Adam a job before he gave him a woman. That's still a good rule today. All you young women looking for somebody... <laughs> Ask the Lord give him a job before he gives you to him, all right? Just <laughs> I know he's fine and everything, but check that J-O-B status, all right? <laughs> Make sure he ain't part-time on, on uh, some video game somewhere in his mama's basement. You, you think he's going to be a catch. <laughs> some of you don't know what an example of a of a father's supposed to look like. Many of you don't know what a family's supposed to look like, so I want to give you an opportunity. I know it's Father's Day, but I want us to feel like family. Some of you are standing here just like me. I'll be 50 this year, and I can tell you that until I was a grown man, I never felt like anybody ever had my back. Never. My family was not loving, that they were not supportive, they were not comforting, they were not encouraging. I didn't know what it was like to, for somebody to have my back. And no doubt some of you have been in that same situation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your left and see if there's anybody there. Look to your right. Smile. Make them think you're happy to see them. Now look behind you. Look over one of your shoulders. You see anybody there? Now look straight ahead. Now if you are standing behind somebody, reach out and touch the person standing in front of you. Just reach out and touch them. You ain't got to manhandle them. Just reach out and touch them. Now I want you to let them know, I got your back. I got you all over the room. Just let them know, I got your back. I don't know what you're going through, but I got your back. I don't know what it's going to take to get you through this, but I got your back. I, I, I can't always be there for you, but I promise if I can, I got your back. I want you to spend the next couple of minutes just going around and telling some folks that are sitting near you in your section. Say, I may not even know your name, but because you're in the same family I'm in, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I got your back if you got mine. Can you do that? Just spend the next few minutes fellowship and letting them know I got your back 